Welcome to the LifePoint Palm Bay Sermon Podcast. We encourage you to make copies of this message, but please don't charge for those copies. If you'd like to know more about LifePoint Palm Bay, please visit LifePointPB.com. You can turn over to Genesis chapter 15. Yeah, and our ushers had an idea. If, um, if you notice, if you, if you take one of these Bibles and you notice there's some pre-marked scripture in there, they had the idea of marking those for you, just to make it easier to find um, you know, the, the passages that I'm going to. And so this morning, we're going to start in Genesis 15. And if, if you don't have one of the Bibles they're handing out, well, then you just have to find it yourself. Um, but it's the first book of the Bible, Genesis 15. We're going to continue talking about who God is and who we see him and what we see about him, learn about him based on his name. A number of years ago, I, um, I was watching this movie. I, I really enjoy films that are based on true stories. I love real life film. As a matter of fact, it's probably most of what I watch if I watch a film. That's generally what I lean toward. And it always intrigues me, pulls me in. And so a number of years ago, I watched the true story of what took place in South Africa in 1995. As Nelson Mandela became president, apartheid had just ended. They were trying to unite this country um, that is so racially divided. And Nelson Mandela believed, because South Africa that year was hosting the World Cup in rugby. And they weren't that great. Their team was not that great. But the host nation got in on a bye, so they were automatically in the tournament. And Nelson Mandela really believed that rugby could be one of the tools used to kind of cross this racial divide, to unite the country, black and white. And, and so the movie talks about that. It shows you kind of that journey, and actually the South African rugby, rugby team winning the World Cup that year. And it's a really inspiring film. In it, twice, but particularly at the end, Morgan Freeman, who plays Nelson Mandela, begins to quote a poem, one that you're probably familiar with if you went to school in the United States. It's a poem called Invictus. And um, it's something as Americans we tend to like, but there is a problem with it. But this is Invictus, and you, you hear this in the film. Out of the night that covers me, Black as the pit from pole to pole. I thank whatever gods may be, that's part of the problem there, for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeoning of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade. He's talking about death. And yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. You really understand what he's talking about here. He's talking about a final judgment. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. You recognize those last two lines, don't you? Uh, Americans love this, this poem, uh, written uh, by William Henley, I believe, a British poet. But there's a real problem with it. We identify with it in our flesh. And, and there's a certain aspect that we admire when someone says they have perseverance and endurance, when we push through against difficult circumstances. We admire that. 
We appreciate it. As a nation, we appreciate that. As people, we appreciate that. And, and there's an aspect of, of that in Scripture where it talks about endurance and, and pushing through and receiving strength and walking in that. But this whole idea that I'm the master of my fate and the captain of my soul, well, that's a lie from the pit. This morning, the name of God we're going to look at flies in the face of this poem. What I'm going to talk about this morning, you're not going to like, because I don't like it, but it makes it nonetheless true. This morning, we are going to look at God as Adonai, Adonai, A-D-O-N-A-I, if you're spelling it out in English, Adonai. It literally means God as owner, master. The first time we see this name of God used is in Genesis chapter 15. If you look with me there. Genesis 15, it, it says, uh, you have the story of Abraham. And this chapter 15 is what we call the Abrahamic covenant. This is where God makes the covenant with Abraham and says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your, your offspring like the sands of the sea. And all of the promises that, that God gave to Abraham, we see that here in chapter 15. Now, earlier, God had revealed himself to Abraham, but that name God was Jehovah, or, excuse me, not Jehovah, Elohim. So he had seen him. God had revealed himself way back in the land of Ur. He had revealed himself to Abraham, and Abraham had believed him and moved out and traveled, just as God told him to. But now, God comes to him again and says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a great nation. And Abraham has a question. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram. Now notice the word, the Lord there, L-O-R-D, all right? There, it is capital L and then small O-R-D. And I pointed this out before, when you in your Bible, and this is true in every translation I have looked at, you will find Jehovah or Yahweh, when you see that one, the self-revealing one, when you see that name of God, it will be in all caps in your Bible. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, all right? I, every translation I've looked at, that's true. That was true in the New American. Now, some of them, like the New American Standard, has the first letter still a little bit bigger, but the others are all still capped. They're just a little bit smaller than the first letter. But every translation I looked at, NIV, New King James, New American Standard, New Living Translation, Holman, all of them that I looked at, ESV, you will find Jehovah in all caps in your Bible. It helps you understand when it's talking about Jehovah. This one is not all caps. Why? Because this is Adonai. The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield and your reward shall be very great. Look at the next verse with me. But Abram said, O Lord, there's the word Adonai. O Lord God. The next word, God, is capitalized. It's not up here, but it is in your Bible. What will you give me? For I continue childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a memory of my household, a member of my household, will be my heir. He's saying, Lord, you've made these promises to me, but how are you going to do this? Because I'm too old. I have no children. The only way this could be is if someone who's in my house, they're not actually my offspring, but someone in my house, they would carry on my line. And God makes the promise to Abraham. Abram here. He makes the promise to him and says, no, it's going to be your child. I'm going to do this. Now, it's interesting to me because up to this point, Abram 
has recognized God as God. He is Elohim. He is Jehovah. He's the, he's the self-revealing one. But here he calls him owner. See, Abram has gone beyond, beyond the point of just saying, I recognize you as God. I know who you are. But he's gone to the point and said, you know what? You own me. I belong to you. You make the choices. You make the decisions in my life. Folks, if you are going to be a Christ follower, then you're going to have to understand God and know him as owner, not just as savior, not just as the God who created the heavens and the earth, not just the one who promises that if you believe, then one day you'll go to heaven. You have to know him. You have to declare him and walk with him as owner. Owner. The scripture actually calls us a bondservant or literally a slave. We don't like that term, and rightfully so. It has a totally different connotation in the scripture than it does in our modern culture. When the scripture talks about slavery, it is not talking about what we know, the horrendous activity of taking and literally robbing people, stealing them, kidnapping them, forcibly removing them from family, from friends, from their, their home, their place, taking them to another, putting them into servitude uh, with no hope of anything except harshness and hardness and, and, and cruelty and brutality. That is not the picture you have in scripture of, of slavery. When the scripture talks about us being bond slave, and by the way, it was Paul's favorite way to refer to himself. He referred to himself in almost every one of his letters as a bond servant. But the picture here is, uh, because for the Hebrews, slavery was not a lifetime thing, and it wasn't something where they were forcibly removed and placed into it. It was most often a situation where they volunteered to go into it, and it only lasted for six years. And in the seventh year, they required, the law required that whoever entered into servitude for that period of time, in the seventh year, they had to be released at no cost to themselves. Exodus 21, if you ever want to look at it, Exodus 21 talks about this whole scenario. As a matter of fact, you'll remember the story of Jacob. Remember how Jacob comes to another land and he meets Laban and he sees Rachel and he loves her and he wants to marry her and he goes to her dad and basically says, I'm young and dumb and have no money. I mean, that, he didn't say that, but that's, that'd be our translation, all right? I have nothing, but I love your daughter. And, and Laban says, here's what you do. You agree to work for me for seven years, and she's yours. See, this is the picture. You are my servant, if you will, the slave. But that is the term that is used there, but has a different connotation than we understand it. You are my servant. Voluntarily enter into this agreement, and after six years, in the seventh year, you are able to go free. And in this case, Laban says, after the seventh year, I give you my daughter. You get to have her. So all Jacob had to offer was himself, and so that's what he did. He offered himself. Now, you know he got tricked, and so he ended up working another seven years, and he ended up with two wives. Um, but anyway, that's a whole different story, okay? That's a message for another day. But here's this picture of slavery in, in the Old Testament. He, Jacob entered into it in Exodus 21. It says, you have someone who's entered into this agreement and said, I will be your servant for this specified time for six years. In the seventh year, I go free. But at the end of that time, the servant says, you know what? 
I have gained things in being the servant of my master that I would have never had otherwise. I have experienced life to the fullest in the servitude of my master. And so I don't want to go free. I would rather stay here. He says, if that happens, then this servant, this one who is legally free, you now go to the doorpost and you have your ear bored through with an awl, symbolizing that you have voluntarily, you have, first of all, fulfilled all of your commitment, your legal obligation. You are now volunteering for the rest of your life to be this one servant because it's better to you to stay there than to go out on your own. That's the picture. When God says, I am the owner, he's, we are, he's not forcing us. He's not making us. He's working in our lives so that we come to the place and recognize it is better for me to be a servant with God than to be in charge on my own. But that's hard. What I want is to be a servant sometimes and be in charge of others. That's what I want. I want to have some way to fill in the hole in my ear, all right? So sometimes I'm the bondservant and sometimes I'm my own free man. Do what I want. The, the thing about it, and here's the truth that you have to get. If, this, if, if you were taking notes, this point you cannot miss. If you want to know God as Jehovah, as the self-revealing one, then you must first submit to him as owner, as Adonai. There's an order with God, and you'll see it. I'll show it to you this morning. You'll see it over and over again. You submit to him as owner, and then you see more of who he is as he reveals himself. You say, I don't, I don't, I don't know God the way other people seem to. He doesn't seem to reveal himself. I don't see his power working dynamically in my life. It may very well be because he's not your owner. He's simply Elohim. He's the God who created. He may even be your savior, but he's not your Lord. He's not your master. He's your insurance policy. And you don't know him. I mean, you may know him. I'm not saying you're not saved. But you don't know him the way he wants you to know him and the way he wants to reveal himself to you unless he's your owner. Just after this, this is in chapter 15. In chapter 22 is that famous place where Abraham takes Isaac who is the fulfillment of the promise that God makes to him in this chapter. And God says, now I want you to take him to this place and I want you to offer him. As a sacrifice. That happens in chapter 22. And just as he's raising the knife ready to kill him, it says the Lord stops him and then shows him, reveals to him a ram that's caught in the, in the bushes. And they take him, they offer that instead. And it says that Abraham calls the place Jehovah-Jireh. Jehovah, we recognize that Jireh provider, God will provide. God does provide. Abraham saw more revelation of who God is and the power that he has because he was willing to say, you're my owner, whatever you say, I will do. Whatever you say, I will do. You see this over and over again. Exodus chapter 4. We've got Moses. Remember, we've looked at, in this study, we looked at Exodus 3 because that's where we see Jehovah, where God is revealed to Moses as Jehovah in the burning bush. The next chapter, chapter 4, Moses is trying to sort through and work through all this. 
And in chapter 4, Moses refers to him as Adonai, as owner. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Adonai, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. Meeting you in the burning bush hasn't changed anything, Lord. I'm still not eloquent. I still can't speak. But I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him, he goes on to say, Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. There are two things that I, I would love for the Holy Spirit to make real to you and me today in this message. Number one is, if you want to see him as Jehovah, you must submit to him as Adonai. You must. There's no other path. There's no other way. If you want him to constantly be revealing who he is and see new dimensions of his power at work in your life, you must surrender to him as Adonai, as master. That's the first Here's the second, that when we surrender to him as Adonai, there are always obstacles to that. Number one, it will always be tested. Once you declare, Jesus, you are my master, you are my Lord, you are my owner, I am bought with a price, 1 Corinthians 6 says. I am bought with a price. I am not mine. I don't belong to me. We're all, if we are saved, we've all been bought with a price. Your commitment to him, your declaration of him as your owner, will be tested. I promise you, it will be tested. It was with Abraham, it was with Moses, it was with Nehemiah, because in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 10 or 11, he uses the name Adonai. It is with Gideon, in fact, we'll look at probably a couple of these passages. It was with Joshua in Joshua chapter 7. It was with David over and over again. It, when you declare him to be your owner, master, it will be tested. It will be. So Abraham says, you're my owner. You're my owner, God. And then five or six chapters later, I want you to take what you love the most and I want you to sacrifice it. Wait a second, owner God. Let's back up here. All right? I'm not sure this is a good idea. I promise you, if you surrender to him as your owner, as your master, it will be tested. And not just once. I'd like to tell you it would be easier. My job would be easier if I could tell you just surrender one time, be tested one time, and then you're good. I, I, I would like to tell you that. It is not true. I am being tested to this day on a daily basis to say you're the owner. I'm just the servant. Do you know, though, would you do something with me right now? Would you go on a journey down memory lane and look at some of the bad stuff in your life? All right? Not long. Don't look at it long. Just take a glance at it, all right? Okay? How many times? Now, some things happened outside of your control, and that's a whole different category. But in the things that were within your control, how many times did you get in trouble being the owner, being the one in charge? And that situation would have looked a whole lot different if you were simply the servant doing what the owner said. I look back through my life and realize every time I want to be owner, I get in trouble. And when I'm willing to be the servant, 
it's a whole lot easier. See, it, in our mind and in our hearts, that seems wrong. It seems like it would be easier to be the owner, to be the one in charge. I'll never forget one day, one little boy caught me in the bathroom. There, we're walking out. He looks up at me and he goes, oh, he said, are you the one in charge? And, um, and I stopped for a minute and I knew what he was saying. And I, and I thought, no, I'm not the one in charge. Jesus is the one in charge. He's the only one in charge. He goes, I know you're supposed to say that. You're the preacher. But... <laughs> I said, it's, it's more than just something we say. It is true. He is in charge. He, call, he calls the shots, not us. Why don't you look at this next passage with me? Exodus 5, Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. He's being tested. Matter of fact, the word Lord there in that verse is Adonai. He said, I'm your servant. I'm your, I've surrendered. I'm doing what you said, and it's not working out so well. You're going to see this pattern. If you look, if you trace Adonai through the Old Testament, you're going to see this pattern over and over again. They acknowledged him as owner, as the one in charge. They did what was said, or what he said, and it immediately seemed to look bad. You have the same thing that happens in Joshua. I think with Joshua 7, do we have that passage? In Joshua chapter 7, you see the same thing happening over again. Joshua, basically verbatim, Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, Lord there is Adonai. O Lord God, you have brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? He's asking a question. Did you bring us over? Did you deliver us? Did you do these miracles just so we could be delivered into the hands of the Amorites? Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan, to stay where we were. It was better over there. I'm telling you, if you surrender him as master and owner, do not be surprised when that surrender is tested. It will be. You keep surrendering. So what do I do? You keep surrendering. Lord, I trust you. You're the owner. I'm the servant. I can't see the whole picture yet, so I'm trusting you. Look at the next passage with me. Gideon, believe it's in Judges. Judges chapter 6. This is the whole story of Gideon's call. And he said to him, Gideon says to him, please, Adonai, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Now let me show you the other part of this that you've got to get. It will be tested. When you surrender, it will be tested. I promise you, it will be. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. It will be tested. Because faith that's not tested isn't faith. Trust that's untested isn't trust. Here's the other thing. When it happens, you're going to have some good reasons why you shouldn't trust. You're going to have some really good ones. Your heart will produce them and the enemy will produce them. And other people will give you some. All right? You will have some really good ones. Here's some big ones that show up in all of these stories. For Abraham, why shouldn't he trust God? Because he's too old. It is physically, humanly impossible for what God says to happen for it to happen. It can't happen. He's too old. 
So it would make sense. It stands to reason, God, I can't trust you as Adonai, as owner, because I am too old. Matter of fact, Abraham reminds God of this. He says, I'm old and Sarah's getting on in years too. He was, he was more gracious when he said, talked about Sarah. But we're too old. He reminds God of this. It's not too hard for him. Moses says, Lord, I can't speak. I don't have natural ability. I don't have the gifting. I don't have the talent. I cannot do what you have asked me to do. And the Lord says, who made the mouth? Who made the tongue? Who did all that? I'm the owner. You're the servant. With Gideon, what does Gideon say? And these, by the way, these excuses are the same today. Lord, that's humanly impossible. That can never happen. Lord, I don't have the right gifting or talents or abilities. That could never happen. Gideon, I don't have the right pedigree. I wasn't born in the right family. I don't have the right circumstances. I'm, Gideon says, I'm of the least tribe. I'm the least in the least of the least of the tribes. I can't do this. I'm not the one. I don't have the right credentials to do this. Nehemiah, when he's talking to the Lord, and acknowledge him as Adonai. He's hundreds of miles away from where the problem is, and he's having to serve the king, and he can't get out of it. But that's not a problem. That's not a problem for Adonai. He changes the heart of the king and sends Nehemiah on his way. You and I are called. We are called not just to know not just to know God as Savior Jesus as Savior know Him as Lord and that's where it breaks down most believers know Him as Savior way fewer know Him as Lord because when it comes right down to it I'm going to make the decisions about my future. And I'm going to ask God to bless those decisions. I'm going to make my decisions about relationships. And I'm going to ask him to bless it. I'm going to make my decisions about money and finances. And I'm going to ask him to bless it. Maybe. As an afterthought, I might. If I make enough money, I don't need him to bless it. See, we don't say these things out loud, but our heart, it's there. I'm in charge. I love that. Um, one of the kids said the other night about my sister-in-law. She's got cats, and they're big cats. And she calls them large and in charge. But that's what we think of ourselves. We're large and in charge. I'll give lip service. And Jesus talked about it. Don't call me Lord, Lord. Not mean it. Don't call me Lord if I'm not your master. The words don't matter. You can say, Lord, Lord, all day long. You can call him master all day long. There is a surrender that takes place here that says you're in charge. The first time, the first time that this truth, that God revealed this to me, I began to see it in my own life, was in June of 1984. June of 1984, and I'm sitting in a meeting 
and I'm listening to the speaker, but I really am hearing God. I'm not hearing the speaker. And God speaks to me. He says, you know me as Savior, but you have never known me as Lord. You will not let me be the boss. And so all the other stuff that you know and all the other stuff that you ask me for, you cannot experience it because you won't acknowledge me as Lord. Now, for some of you, maybe those things happen simultaneously. Maybe you acknowledge him as Savior and Lord together. Some would say that if you don't acknowledge him as Lord, he's not your Savior. I don't know. I don't get into that argument. That's God's business. I do know this. That if you don't acknowledge him as Lord, you may have eternal life, but you'll never have abundant life. I told you you weren't going to like this message. I don't like it. It's the hardest message I've ever had to live. But the challenge, here's the challenge. Here's my challenge to you. What little I know of God, and there's so much more that I want to see and experience and, and know of Him. But what I have seen, what I have experienced of Him, has always come as a result of acknowledging Him as owner. Always. We were, and Lori, I'm going to ask you to come play. We were driving yesterday, late evening, late afternoon, just as the sun was going down in the west. Just driving around, um, kind of driving around the circle out here. And I was looking out across the property and the building and the just and the sun was setting and it was a glorious afternoon evening. Just pretty. And I drove by and I was I was just thankful. I was like, Lord, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for what how you've moved and shown your power and your work. But as I was looking across, he reminded me to Think of all the times along the way where you had to choose again to declare and acknowledge me as master, as the one in charge. Because I could also tell you some stories along the way where whether it was intentional or unintentional, we decided we'd be master and owner. We'd be the ones in charge. That goes in our hall of shame, all right? That goes in the places you don't like to talk about, and yet we do, because... It's important to remember that, that when we take the reins, when we put ourselves back on the throne, we make a mess. And you may be sitting here this morning and you say, Pastor, that's me. I have made a mess. I've made a mess. I'm, I, I'm not disagreeing with what you're saying this morning. I, I can see that in the scripture. I'm not disagreeing, but I have messed up. And I've got the scars and the consequences to prove it. What do I do? It's too late. See, that's the enemy. The enemy is the one who always tells you it's too late. Because remember, God's outside of time. So he's never late. He's always right on time. He's always the God of right now. So you've messed up. So have I. Join the club. So today... What do you do? Today, you come back and you say, Jesus, you are Adonai. You are my master. And Lord, not just my savior, 
You're in charge. What you say, I will do, even when I don't understand it. I will do. By your grace, I will surrender and submit to you today, right now. And tomorrow, I'll do it all over again. And the next day, I'll do it all over again. And when I mess up, Scripture says a righteous man falls seven times, but he rises again. And guess what? If you're in Jesus, you're righteous. You're that righteous man and woman. So he's talking about you. You can fall seven times. Seven's a number in Scripture that just means over and over. You can fall. I'm not encouraging you to fall. I'm just simply saying we do. And when you do, you rise again from where you are. And you acknowledge and you repent and you say, God, you are Lord. So right now, for this moment, I resume again this, this position where you are in charge and I follow. He loves it when we come to him that way. We think he's angry and holding a grudge. That's what we would do. But that's not who he is. He's not like us that way. He's like that father in Luke 15 who's watching every day for a glimpse of the sun coming back. That's who he is. So you've messed up. I'm not belittling that or I'm not minimizing it. I'm not saying it's not significant. I'm simply saying it's not the end. It's not over yet. God's not done. He's not finished. Would you bow your heads with me? there any area of your life this morning where the Holy Spirit speaking to you and you know that God is not Adonai, he's not your master, he's not in charge. There's some areas where you could say he is, but you know there's one or more where you just know he's not. He's not in charge. You're afraid, you don't feel like you can trust him in that, you don't know how it's going to work out, you just... You don't feel like it's important. I don't know what the reason might be. But the Holy Spirit's pointing it out. He's not in charge. Would you receive from the Holy Spirit this morning what he wants to give, which is power to believe, grace to follow through with that belief? to be able to say, Lord, right here, this area where I know that I've been holding on, I've been holding on to lordship of this area, but I give it to you this morning. It's yours. You're in charge. I'm the servant. Willingly, I choose to be. I'm not being forced. I choose. It may be in relationships, it may be in finances, it may be in your health, it may be in your marriage, it may be in your job, it may be where you live or where you want to live. It may be a hundred different things, I don't know, but the Holy Spirit knows and he's talking to you about it. Would you just surrender? 
maybe it was your plans for the future. Maybe you have to surrender those and trust that he's got better ones for you. Just surrender. And surrender with knowledge, knowing that that surrender will be tested. No rose-colored glasses here, no misleading you. I'm telling you, that surrender will be tested. But here's the wonderful news. He who gives you the grace right now to surrender also gives you the grace to walk through that testing. He does both. He's working all in and around and up. I mean, he's all up in your business. And you want him to be. Lord, right now, in our hearts again, in my heart, I declare, you are Adonai, your master, you're in charge. I know that'll be tested, Lord, it has been, I know it will be, but I also know I'm like that servant who has seen that it is far better to be a servant in your house than to be the ruler in mine. I want to be in yours, Lord. I want to be in your service. I pray that for each one here. In the areas that they're struggling with today, I pray for your grace poured out, your power released your will believed and responded to. And I thank you, Lord. I pray you'd help us encourage one another because that's what we do. Help us encourage one another with, with testimony, with story of how you've worked in our life when we've trusted you. And Lord, to be willing to share the good, the bad, the ugly, all of it together, not just part of it, the whole story. Lord, we are trophies of your grace. And we praise you and we thank you. I thank you for the work that you're doing, the eternal work that you're doing in our hearts this morning. I praise you and I give you thanks. And I pray that you receive glory, Jesus. Now, by the way, before I close, if you don't know Jesus today, even as Savior, much less as Lord, today is the day of salvation for you. Today. Today's the day where you surrender and say, I believe Jesus died for my sin. He paid the price for me. And I received that gift, eternal life. And here's what I encourage you as you're doing that. You say, Lord, I receive you as Savior. And I also declare right now, I want you to be my Lord. I want you to be in charge. You can do that right where you are. It's between you and the Lord. You say, what do I say? The words, the heart's more important than the words. Your heart says, Jesus, I recognize, I understand, I repent. Which means I just, I, I, I think a different way. I turn, go a different way. I was wrong and Lord, I want to follow you. I believe in you. You just tell him what's in your heart. What he's stirring there. I believe 
that you are God's son, that you died for my sin, and right now I trust that, I receive that. I repent of doing it my own way. And I follow you. If you did that this morning, tell somebody before you leave, please, tell somebody. Me or anybody else, but tell them. Maybe somebody you came with that you know. Say, I believe today. I receive Jesus today. Because we want to rejoice with you and encourage you and help you. I'm going to ask my prayer partners to come up to the front too right now, if you would. When we dismiss in just a moment after the song, if there's anything that we can pray with you about, anything at all, doesn't matter what it is, whatever's going on in your life, we want the privilege to be able to pray with you. That's why they're here. And so they'll be waiting for you. They'll come and you can just say, hey, pray with me about this, please. And they would, it would be their privilege. If you say, I want to know more about knowing Jesus, they'll help you with that. Whatever it is, just come. If you're carrying a burden today, don't walk out carrying it. Let somebody pray for you and with you. Lord, again, we just thank you for all that you're doing. And we do declare that you are Lord, that you are Master. Lord, we are reminded again of what Hudson Taylor said so many years ago. You're either Lord of all or you're not Lord at all. We believe that. Receive it. We want to walk in the truth that you are Lord of all. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. And all God's people said.